You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and I'm very excited today to introduce one of my very favorite people that I've ever met at FinCon. And as you know, if you're a longtime listener, I've met a lot of people at FinCon, probably like a thousand of them. And Sandy Smith is on with us today. And I'm just I'm just pumped. So say hi to everyone, Sandy. Hi, everyone. I don't know why I haven't been here before, Eric. Why is that? Because you don't respond to your emails. Listen, okay, so email is my kryptonite. I'm the first one to say that. I had like 7,000 unread emails. and You got to check out new- my uh, my um, Inbox Zero course I did. It's a week long and you get an, e- you know, it's funny, like get an email every day about not getting email. Yeah, uh, yeah, like I'm going to open the email every day, Eric. Come on. But if you do for a week, then maybe instead of 7,000, you'll be down to like zero. Well, I, I, okay, so I finally broke down and I hired a VA and her job is to clear my inbox. So. We'll see what happens. I got I logged in one day and I think I was down to like 700 from 7,000 on red. And I was like, holy, what have you done? That's like a 90% <laughs> like, improvement. It, it was too much though. I was in shock. I was like, where did you put stuff? Oh, and what the are you opening? Button. The archive Dude, button. oh my gosh. And, and then I was just like, where does it even go? How am I supposed to ever look for stuff? How am I supposed to find people? But yeah, I'm, I'm getting better at it. But I'm here now and my inbox is dwindling. Thank goodness for my VA. Shout out to Sasha. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'll be on more, maybe. But you're um, really good at responding to uh, to Facebook messages. So I know if I really need to get you, that's the place to go. Yes, because that goes to my phone. So Do you your know, email I, not go to your phone? Okay, it does. But I swipe and ignore <laughs> the email. <laughs> See, that, that's, that's why you haven't been on the show before. Because you swipe. <laughs> you, you treat it like a bad Tinder message. Like, get out of here, email. I don't care who you're from. (laughs) This is too much. This is too much. The volume is ridiculous. Can we just talk for a second about how ridiculous email is? Please stop emailing people. Like, unless it's important and something you need them to actually look at, stop emailing people like me. (laughs) I don't have time to read your emails. Well, I emailed you to ask if you wanted to be on the show. Is that well, no, no, yours, yours is okay, but it just got <laughs> lost in the shuffle of all the other craziness that comes I, into I, do, I have, um, I really check out, I have an Inbox Zero course, I'll link to it in the show notes, listeners. Um, it's a week long, you get one email a day for a week, and then it stops. It doesn't go on forever. Um, yeah, it's only, it, don't be like me, don't, yeah. don't end up with 7,000 on red emails. It just goes, th- it's, like, it goes through these tools that I've used to like bulk unsubscribe to email lists that I don't really want to be on and things like that and, and get through the junk. So you can get down to like 10 emails, you know, something more manageable. You know, that's the other thing. If you're somebody like Eric or myself who've been at this for some time, people just put you on these PR lists and then you get a million emails a day and it's I've ridiculous. Even, I've gotten off of most of them. It's it's impossible, <sighs> um, especially like every year, you know, after going to a conference like FinCon, I, I'm actually going to a couple more this year. I'm excited. I'm going to podcast movement that's in uh, Anaheim. That'll be my second oh, year. And that should be fun. I just found out this week. This is actually the first time I'm, I'm saying it publicly. I'm going, actually, I think I tweeted it, <laughs> but I uh, was just selected to speak at TBEX, which is like FinCon for travel blogging. So oh, nice. I'll be in uh, Huntsville, Alabama in may talking about how to uh 
go from turning your online brand into a full-time income source. So Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, Space Camp. That's what it's famous for. And guess what? I get to go for a day to Space Camp. I'm really pumped. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, please, Cam. Okay, not not nerdy at all. I mean, mm-hmm. listen, look at who you're talking to. I know. <laughs> I just finished Star Trek: The Next Generation. I've been watching for like okay, thirty I did years the same with thing. my dad, and I finally went through on Netflix and watched it. I did The Next Generation, and then I did Voyager. Netflix has been the best thing ever. Totally. And now I've started on the original Star Treks. I didn't even know that there was a, a different captain before Captain Kirk. Did you know? There was, uh, yeah, it was Captain Pike, I believe, right? Mind blown. Yeah. I had no idea. But he was, no um, people didn't love him as an actor. Like the real story, like they just weren't into him in the pilot. And that's why they put Captain Kirk there. And we might not know William Shatner had that not happened. And our lives would oh. be so much sadder had we not met William Shatner. And think of all Bill Shatner's wonderful acting. I, I know. It's like he is always <laughs> on a mission trying to save the world from whatever's happening next on the Enterprise. I- I love it. Okay, so I'm in the nerd box with you, but I don't know. <laughs> Actually, our, um, we got a new puppy camp. recently, and his name is Tribble. So you'll find that on the uh, the original Star Trek, why we called him that. I love it. I love uh, it. So let's dive in, start getting into the good stuff. So Sandy, you are like one of the best hustlers I know. Like I'll just I'll just throw that out there. Sandy works hard and does not give up and is relentless. And that has been... You know, a huge key to your success. You've started with a personal finance blog, Yes, I Am Cheap, and have grown to really be teaching a lot of people about how to manage their own little entrepreneurial projects and save money along the way, how to deal with you know, 0% interest um, credit cards to fund your inventory for your, your awesome <laughs> online business. So let's just dive in and go back to the beginning. So how did you come up with the idea for Yes, I Am Cheap? It was simple. I was in so much debt. And I never knew, I never knew the exact number, to be honest with you. I knew I owed like this three different student loans and I owed a couple of credit cards and I had just closed my business. So I had like a tax thing that I had to pay, but I didn't know what it was altogether. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to start this little blog. Maybe I'll just, it'll be a way for me to just track every month how much I owe and how much I've paid off the previous month because I wasn't really paying attention to it. I was one of these people who paid my debts every month. Like I paid the minimum balance and I threw a little bit extra on there. And I didn't feel like I was really getting anywhere. So I'm like, Do you, you know, what you were paying an in interest every month. Oh, I, I was paying hundreds of dollars in interest. Easy. The HELOC alone was like 300 something dollars in interest. My credit cards, because they were at, you know, 17% or better. And I owed at least 10,000 a piece on each credit card. I was paying a good probably $400 on interest and credit card. It, it was a ridiculous a amount of money and interest. I just came across you know, a, a friend who who told me that he was paying about $1,000 a month in interest on credit I cards. Wouldn't, I would not put like, myself past that because like, that's about you know where I was. My student loans, yeah. what I was paying was basically interest only. It wasn't really any principal, really. And my credit cards were ridiculous. And my it, it was pretty much mostly interest. I wasn't getting anywhere. Nowhere. So you decided so, to become cheap? Yeah, I decided to like just start focusing on paying off my debt. And I needed to have the number someplace that I could get to it very easily. So I'm like, I'll just throw up the site and I'll just call it Yes, I'm Cheap because damn it, I'm cheap. I'm, I'm just going to embrace it. My mom was always like, it's not cheap. It's frugal. And I was like, no, no, mom, I'm cheap. I owe <laughs> all this money. It was 120. I forget how much it was exactly. Like maybe say 122,000 or something like that that I owed. And, and as I get, it's time to embrace the cheap. It means 
I'm not going anywhere if I don't have a coupon. <laughs> and I'm going to learn this extreme couponing and stacking coupons. And I'm not going to shop unless there's a deal. I'm not going on vacation. I'm not doing all the stuff. I am going to be cheap. And I started the blog and I was like, let me just throw my numbers up there. Didn't think anybody would really pay attention. Mm-hmm. And then people started to come because here I was honestly sharing how much I owed every single month, how much I had paid down, what I'd been doing during the month, other little things about myself and stories about my friends and family who were also struggling with money. And it kind of evolved from there as people started to kind of find me and identify with the same kind of financial struggles. And then um, my own evolution over time. So I started the blog in December of 2008. So I officially lost, launched it, I say January 1st, 2009. And so my own evolution over time from just trying to scrape by with jobs that I hated to discovering that you can make money outside of your job and <laughs> that's what changed myself, both of our lives. Yes. And turning myself into the hustle queen, it just completely changed my entire life. You know, these last few years, and I'm happy that I've had people watch and follow and learn along the way and kind of people are still evolving from where I was to where I am now. And I get to help them along that journey too. So in addition to your personal finance blog, Guess I Am Cheap, you have this whole business of selling products of of all varieties. My favorite were the ones that made fun of a certain recently elected politician. um, (laughs) There are, you, you do all this cool stuff on there. How did you get into like, making like custom printed mugs and t-shirts and, and whatever else. Like, what do you make? How did you get into that? How did you figure this out as an industry that you could make money in? So that was, I, I kind of stumbled into this. So my brother and I are very much entrepreneurs at heart. If I find something that works, I tell him, he finds something, he tells me, we kind of bounce back and forth. And it's really good. I want to make that point to have like a partner or somebody that will listen to your crazy, crazy ideas and not judge you off the bat. I'm going to put that out there. So um, my brother had a friend who was selling on eBay and my brother was this other person for his friend as well. My brother was selling on eBay and so was I at the time. We were all selling different things. And his friend kind of stumbled into customized cell phone cases. So my brother went down to Florida. I li- we live in New York. He went to Florida, stayed with his friend for about six months. And learn the business in and out. My brother was running his friend's business with his employees as he grew, et cetera. And he learned everything inside out. My brother came back to New York and he needed like the capital to get started. And I was like, fine, I'll buy the printer. I'll buy the press. And, you know, I'll be your silent partner. So this wasn't like a regular like inkjet printer you go buy at um, at the office (laughs) supply store. This no, like we're talking printers at like right? $1,800 for this printer. And, you know, probably the press was about eight or $900 because I got a, a cheap press. So yeah, it was, it was a real investment. And the thing is, my brother was an entrepreneur full time. I was working at the time, still am for somebody else. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'll borrow a little money from myself. And I'll lend you this money to get started. And I'll put some on my credit card <laughs> to get started. Like, like after you've just gone through this, is this before or after you figured out you had like $120,000 in credit this card This was debt? after. This was after because I was always willing to take a risk too. Okay. So it was that a was a calculated risk. It was, it was, a, a calculated it was an investment. Risk. It wasn't just like a, let's, you know, let's go to Vegas. Blow some money. Yeah. black. And that's the other thing. My credit card debt was not for me blowing money. It was always from businesses that I started or 
some of it was left over from my college debt, like paying for books and things like that. So I, I was never the person who was out there like buying Louis Vuitton or any of that kind of stuff. That just was not me. I'm an immigrant. I've always had an immigrant mentality. So it wasn't my credit card debt was never stuff like that. Why would you so, waste your money on Louis Vuitton when there's Jimmy Choo out there? Come on. Of course. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so I so I said to my brother, okay, if I'm gonna do this, I, I I'm willing to do some of this stuff, but I've got to get discounted pricing. So, <laughs> so that's how I started. I started de- designing cell phone cases and that's where it came from. And then the cell phone case business was pretty good. Part-time one year, I sold $25,000 worth of stuff my first year, right? And in, in just cell phone cases. And then um, we were looking around and we were getting a lot of competition from China. It's very easy to knock off somebody's designer in a cell phone case, make it for $1.50, $2 in China and ship it to the US. I just could not compete with their pricing. So I'm like, how can I leverage the designs that I've already made into something else that would be harder for China to copy and ship? And I'm like, uh, a breakable item, of course, which anybody who tells you how, what to sell online will tell you do not sell breakable items because, you know, it's tough. But I was like, a breakable item, coffee mugs. That's what I'm going to do because, yeah, you can knock my design off in China. Yeah, you can make the coffee mug for $2, but you're going to have to ship it here. And what are the odds that that one mug is going to make it from China to the U.S. not broken? And I was like, okay, I'll do this. So I started doing the the coffee mugs. And then instead of just doing my own designs, which is really, really tough when you've got your own original designs, I started looking for looking to pop culture as to what I could mine that would make people interested in buying my items. And so we've had this really acrimonious process for electing our officials these last few years. And I was like, this is the biggest thing ever. Why am I not looking at this? So every time the candidates at the time said something that I thought was buzzworthy or binders full of women, things like that, <laughs> you know, I was just I'm like, just trying I to think about landish things that politicians have said. All the things, one bad ombre, yeah, all the things that they one. said, I would just like, okay, I'm going to grab these phrases. I'm going to put a wacky design around it and I'll throw it in a coffee mug. And they were really popular to my surprise. It was a, I called myself a consistent one hit wonder because you kind of have to, it's better than having one hit depending on one thing. Right. So, but you have to have an ear for it. So people think it's really, really easy. You've got to know what, what little catchphrase can you pull out of this whole long tirade that somebody's had? That's going to stick in other people's minds. And that's what I, I spent the last two years <laughs> basically doing. And I really wasn't into politics at the time. But after having to listen to all that crap, I now am. <laughs> <laughs> so what what kind of margins do you get on this stuff? I mean, you own your own printer. That was a, obviously a huge investment. Um, yes. But now that you own it, I'm imagining it's paid for itself several times over. And yes. um, so when you make a new product, do you... The first time you made a mug, I'm imagining you figured out what the mug would cost, what the printing would cost, all that, and then based your pricing on that rather than just, oh, well, some guy in China selling them for a buck, so I'll sell them for oh yeah, ninety. I definitely, I definitely knew that I was not competing with China. China was not my competition, and I wanted to price my my mugs as a premium product. I'm here today, gone tomorrow, because it wasn't about the coffee mug; it was about what was on the mug. And that's where I decided to differentiate myself from everybody else. So my mugs, for example, sold for a, on average $20. You can buy a coffee mug for $3, you know, or $4. And on average, the, the total production costs and shipping, et cetera, et cetera, 
isn't cheap because it just it is what it is here in the states. Shipping is half the, the it's more than half of the cost alone. So you're talking about to ship one mug on average four dollars and thirty three cents just just post office and insurance, and then you've got the box, you've got packing material, you've got the actual mug, the printing, the pressing, all that other stuff. So I'd say on average, my costs for a mug were about $8 or so. And then I'm selling for about $20. But then I've also got to think, what platform am I selling on? If I'm selling on my own website, not a problem. I get to keep more of my profits. But if I'm selling on Amazon, Amazon also takes a percentage of my sales because they've got to process credit card um, orders, etc. So they're taking a percentage. So that's kind of how I got into my pricing. I figured out what all my costs were and then determined what my margin could be and how high of a price the public could pay without it being too much. Once I crossed $19.99, I knew it would be very, very, very hard for me to justify that price. But people would be willing to pay up to $19.99 for a coffee mug with a phrase that they're not going to find anywhere else. So really differentiation and creating that that user experience is more what it's about than just a method to drink your coffee. It's, exactly. it's making someone feel something or feel something for someone else. I bet you get a lot of gift orders in, in your oh, business. A ton of gift orders. Um, so my most the most popular one was the Nasty Woman mug. And that was like the new, hot new release. <laughs> I remember when you you put that out. It was during it was one of the debates or yes. something. You said, you know, she's a nasty woman. Like the next yes. morning, they were already for sale. I yes, was like, they were. I was like, that's Sandy. See, that's the hustle. That's what you got to do. And even with the full time <laughs> job, she's like, you know, sitting there. At, I mean, they probably was like nine o'clock my time. So it was like one in the morning or whatever East Coast time. And you're like, all right, yes. getting to work. Like, yeah, that was exactly what it was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I put that one out there. And it's neon pink and it says nasty woman on front and neon pink. And I had so many guys buying it for their wives and their friends and just as gifts. I remember one guy bought a mug for every woman in his office. And I think he had like 30 or 40 mugs that he had bought. So there, that one was really popular as a gift item for sure. But I never thought, you know, this, this, na- this little phrase that I plucked out of what he said, I didn't think that it was going to be so popular, right? And it ended up being my number one item that I sold for the entire year. Wow. And the it entire... didn't come on the, uh, it didn't even come out until, was it October? Yeah, I, I feel like it was October. Yeah, it was about October or so. And it rode all the way through Christmas. And then again, in January, there was another uptick. After the inauguration, um, the day of the Women's March, there was another uptick in sales all over again, because women discovered this item all over again. So, awesome. you know, yeah, this product, this one product that I thought maybe it would have like a one week life cycle had went for four months very, very, very strongly. And I'm talking thousands of dollars a month in one mug design. So do one. you, when you have these, these mugs, I mean, I'm guessing you're not making you know, hundreds of each one, just hoping people will buy them. Do you make them Absolutely on not. demand uh, <laughs> exactly. as, as they're ordered and you do they're that all, all in house? Yeah, they're all print on demand. They are not in house. And my brother is not my printer. Okay. And so I don't do any of the printing myself. So we still got that deal. And so he basically drop ships things for me. So they're all print on demand. But when the volume came with the nasty woman, especially after Saturday Night Live, when that happened, then we had to start pre-making them because the 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 volume just outstripped what we were doing 
and how quickly that they could produce the mugs. So I ended up having to take like a couple of days off work, go in, pitch in and make these mugs because it was like a 24 hour operation after Saturday Night Live to spit out these mugs and get them out because we literally got, I think, 300 or 400 orders within two days. Wow. So it, it was a lot. And See, you couldn't you, do print on demand at that point. You I was going to ask you about marketing, but it sounds like um, President Trump and, uh, and the SNL team was doing it for you. They sure did. <laughs> and that's one of the great things about pop culture and writing like a wave that you don't have to spend so much on marketing because it's a hot phrase at that time and people are searching for it. And then you kind of hope that you've made an item, um, you've got the right keywords for it, and it's positioned where it's going to show up on Google or whatever search engine and people are going to click on it and buy it. So I use Amazon for the most part because Amazon is one of the biggest marketplace on earth. People, when they're going, more than half of people who go to shop online go to Amazon first. It's basically another search engine. So I had my products on Amazon. And then, of course, I have that on my website. I have it on Etsy. I've got it on eBay. I'm going to be where I think people are going to find my product. So that was part of my marketing. But did I pay for ads for that particular product? No. Have I paid for ads? Absolutely. I've had some Facebook ads. I never spend more than $20 to market one product because I am cheap. (laughs) Um, And I target my people very, very, very specifically for each product. Because again, I believe in being a consistent one hit wonder. Something works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's the beauty of being a print on demand. I don't have to invest a lot of money in one particular product and then pray that it sells or spend a gazillion dollars marketing it. If it. If it's good, it's good. If it doesn't work, on to the next. That's awesome. So you... um no, I'm, I'm just I'm really impressed by the whole the whole strategy you have. You know, there's there's a saying that says um, in entrepreneurship, especially around like Silicon Valley kind of companies, you should fail often, and um, yes. by failing often, you will find more of those successes. And it sounds like you probably have a lot of designs that go nowhere, but when you um, when you strike it with the nasty woman or the bad hombres or whatever, um, th- this election was obviously your gold mine. Yes, <laughs> when, when you strike it, it, it's all that matters. You. Know, you I uh, something you know, there's a saying that I've actually recently found is totally fabricated. Um, like most statistics, uh, they say that nine out of ten businesses fails, and, and you know the the one ten percent succeed. So I always thought to myself, well, I just need to start ten businesses in that case. <laughs> and exactly, one of them one of them's gotta go. Exactly, um, and you know that's <laughs> I don't, that it turns out that that ten percent number is actually low. A higher number um, succeed, but the. The thought behind it is, is right there. You know, my first business idea I ever had um, that I really went through with, it came out of middle school. Uh, there, remember when everyone wore those What Would Jesus Do bracelets, those WWJD yes. bracelets, and that was like a thing? I thought, you know, I was a snowboarder. I lived in Colorado. I thought, N-E-Y-S, never eat yellow snow. And I started making bracelets, and I about broke even on it. I didn't make money because I didn't have any money to put into it when I was 13. My timing was really bad. I did it like five years later when I was 18 and got a job and had money. Yeah. That's that's Yogi and, uh, and Tribble saying hello. <laughs> I love it. So um, actually, the first person I pitched to be an investor in middle school, I asked the dean during during lunch. I was like, oh, I had this idea. You, you want to put money into it? And he laughed at me, But um, you know, which I would have too if I were him. But you know, now, I don't know how many years, 20 years later, I do have my own business that I run and, and pays for my life and my family. And, th- and that's a pretty cool thing. So, Go big. So I, I failed and I have failed other times as well. I've had many failed websites. If you uh, search around, I'll put it in the show notes, a link to I have a post on 
Uh, I started a reusable bag store online with my friend, you know, not thinking that you could, you know, get them at the grocery store for 90 cents or whatever. So that was a horrible <laughs> idea. But, um, you know, I've, I remember I'm, this story. Yeah. I, I feel like I read it recently. Yeah, so I've had lots of failures and that's okay because, you know, it only takes one success. Uh, oh, yeah. I had a huge failure. I had a costume jewelry boutique. I had invested about, oh my gosh, $70,000 into this boutique. I'll say that. And that was a big part of my debt, by the way. And it was doing great. But what I didn't know was that the Great Recession was only a couple months away. And guess what people don't buy when they're struggling to keep their houses? They're not buying costume jewelry. So, you know, I failed. That was a huge failure. But what it taught me was that I didn't need to create a decent business by spending that much money, that I could be mean and lean and green and that, you know, I was bigger than one failure because quite honestly, that failure nearly crippled me. I, I lost so much confidence from failing at that business, but you know, getting up and doing it all over again, being smarter about it the next time and being leaner. I learned that because I failed so horribly and I wouldn't have learned it had I not failed like that. So, you know, you might see Eric or myself or whatever, whomever out there doing well at some point, but there's probably a a good amount of failure behind all of us before we got to the point where you see us being successful. Totally. And, you know, with the, with the world of the internet today, it's all about making yourself look awesome on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. That's how we get the new people. But, um, you know, the longtime listeners, you know, people, hopefully a lot of people listening right now, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more depth to it than just me, like putting a cool picture, like chill, chilling out at the pool in Austin on a Wednesday. You know, to, to get to that pool, I was sitting there in a hotel room in the dark while my daughter was napping, writing blog posts. Um, so, <laughs> so there, there's a lot more work and failure behind the glamour. We, we just have to make it look glamorous because it's the internet and we're competing with Kim Kardashian for, for eyeballs. But, <laughs> That's um, true. So, so speaking of eyeballs, so you know, Sandy and I, we started our blogs around the same time. We kind of went through some similar roller coasters with traffic, thanks to cute animals that start with a P, you know, pandas and penguins. <laughs> yes. Um, but what, so, and we both kind of turned a corner around a similar time, me for freelancing but Sandy, you've just been like crushing it on live video. That has been somewhere. Um, you know, I, I jump in and watch a lot of your uh, your periscopes. But at one point, you were down to like almost no traffic. You were like, I don't even know if I want to keep this. Yes, I am cheap blog. I feel like I yes. should just trash it and move on with my life. Maybe start over with something else. Uh, you made some changes that have been like night and day with your SEO, and yes. you've really dedicated yourself to putting your face out there on more platforms and being really consistent. So what happened that you were like, eh, screw this thing to I am a Periscope superstar. Check me out. So so funny because I stumbled onto Periscope. It was the night before FinCon. And you've, you've heard Eric probably mentioned FinCon a million times. Financial, <laughs> financial blogger conference is what it used to be called. But now it's called FinCon Expo for us nerdy finance people. It was the night before FinCon and I saw a tweet from Darren Rouse. It was the middle of the night because I'm a late night packer. I think I had like a 6 a.m. This sounds like the start of like a corny children's book on entre- <laughs> entrepreneurship. Like it was the night before FinCon and I was it up was. late packing my bag and Darren <laughs> from Blog Pro Blogger came into my ears. Like, yes, he did. So I I'm actually got my- <laughs> a few years ago, I went to a World Domination Summit when I was living in Portland. I got to meet Darren and bought him a beer and had dinner with him. And Lucky it was you. like, 
this amazing, overwhelming thing at first. Like, holy cow, this is like the Darren. And I found out it's Rouse. Yes, Rouse. So I was like, oh, this is Darren. Like, oh, and like I read his like his book was really instrumental. Um, the pro blogger book to me starting blogging and and looking at my blog as a business more than a hobby. So like when I got to meet him, like I mean, at that point it was probably seven six years later. It was like almost starstruck moment. But then I was t- chatting with him and no surprise, just like you know other people like Pat Flynn and JD Roth that you get to meet at these conferences, like the big big names in blogging and finance, um, Ramit Sethi, um, so these huge people. Like he's just a normal guy. I mean, I guess Ramit's not just a normal guy, but most of the rest. Was Ramit ever normal? <laughs> I, I mean, he he's the guy who paid for college by um, applying for like eight hundred and forty two scholarships like he, he's always been a machine i think but um but anyway. i think he's he's a he's a robot underneath there rami this we're gonna strip off the skin and there's a robot underneath there somewhere just like in one of those like creepy sci-fi movies like he accidentally exactly. gets into a car accident one day and you like find out he's like the terminator of personal <laughs> finance um so so yes yeah, so darren anyway so so keep go- keep going so it was the night before fincon and all was well. Sandy was packing to go and Darren came into her ears and talked about Periscope. Yeah, I was packing a FinCon. I had a 6 a.m. flight, which means you got to be at the airport early because I'm in New York. So I'm like, I'm not even going to go to sleep because it's like one o'clock in the morning at this point. You got to be at the so airport at like four. <laughs> I think you have to be there. Yeah, at about four o'clock. Exactly. So I'm like, why bother sleep? It's one o'clock. I got to be there at four. Because it takes an hour to get back. anywhere in New York. Even like oh, middle no. of the night. I'm lucky because I live near JFK and I only ever fly out of JFK. So for me, it's literally a 10 minute drive to JFK. Oh, so that's that's awesome. Like where I live in Ventura, we're like an hour and a half from the closest Ooh. major airport. No, we can go to Santa Barbara. That's like 45 minutes away. But if I want to go to LA or Burbank, I usually try to go to Burbank. Um, it's like an hour and a half, two hour drive, depending on what time of the day we're going. Now I just shake my husband up like, hey, babe, it's time to go. Five minutes. I'll be in the car. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually what happens. So I'm packing my bags and I've got Twitter on my phone because, you know, I'm not really paying attention to packing my bags. And Darren tweets that he's live on this app called Periscope. And I'm like, Darren's all the way across the world in Australia. I get to see him live. Okay, fine. Let me click this in. And I click in, I download the app and I open it and it's Darren Rouse on my screen live and responding to people as they're typing out these comments. And he had hundreds of people on at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Like you're live and talking to people all across the globe. So I took it to FinCon with me. And while I was there, the first night of FinCon, I was like, let me try this out. I was half drunk. I'm not going to lie. Um, because I, <laughs> I think we were in Liquid Charlotte. confidence. Come on. No, it was, it was Charlotte, North Carolina. I remember this because I flew in and I spoke at an event. I spoke at an event and because I was speaking, I didn't get to eat. And then I got back to the hotel and I'm just used to being a New Yorker where things are open late. And it was like 10 o'clock and the, the food was closed at the hotel. There was nothing around and only the, the bar had been open. I had one drink and I was like, oh, let me order food at the bar. And they didn't serve food at the bar. And I was like, what do you mean? What's up? So I had, I'd had one drink and nothing to eat for hours. And then I opened Periscope and I went live. And, and the rest is history. The rest was history. <laughs> I opened it and these hundreds of people were on. And I was complaining about how Charlotte's, how everything was closed early. But then I was talking about the event that I was at. We got to mingle with people and, and talk to this woman who made six figures a year 
but was struggling financially. But her problem was that she was keeping up with the Joneses. And so I talked about keeping up with the Joneses. Screw and, the Joneses. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't know anything first, anyway. Well, the Joneses are fabulous. They're the Kardashians, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> that was my first broadcast and I loved it. And I broadcasted every night of FinCon. And then by the end of FinCon, I had come up with a series of live classes that I was going to do in Periscope. So I felt like I was the first person who had a personal finance class on Periscope. And it was a 10-week class on um, how to get out of debt. And I broadcasted every Saturday at, I think it was 8 p.m. And I had 10 classes and you go from start to finish with me. And that's how I started building my audience. And I started building my confidence again and realized that there's a whole group of people who have no idea who I am. And so they started coming to the site. Isn't that always like... When, when I have that realization, there's people who don't know who I am. Does that make you a little sad? Like, I feel well, like everyone should know who I am. <laughs> I, felt like, I felt like I've been missing all these people. And they've been missing out on me, frankly. Come on. I'm fabulous. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so I mean, when you taught me coming, how, to, how to reach into my inner ratchet. Yes. Reach into your inner ratchet because somebody is embracing their own inner ratchet. You can't be perfect all the time. Just so, so, uh, so anyone gets that reference, Sandy spoke at, I run the Ignite FinCon speaking event every year. They're, it's like TED Talks on Speed. And Sandy spoke is. last year on how Rihanna, Rihanna taught her to um, embrace, to embrace my inner, her, ratchet. inner ratchet. So uh, that, I didn't even know, what, like, I'd heard the word ratchet. I didn't even know what it meant. And, <laughs> so, and that, so after my after my Ignite, you knew what ratchet was. I know. And now I'm like, I'll, I'll ratchet it up. <laughs> I love it. So, so since people started going to my site from seeing me on Periscope, I realized that my site was completely devoid of me. My site was very informational and there were lots of stories, but I was not present on my site. And I decided, that's where I decided, okay, am I going to keep this blog or not? And there's a whole different audience that's just found me. And maybe I just need to change my entire perspective. And so what I did was I completely redesigned the blog. And I put my face on the blog. You have to understand how huge that is. And especially um, working with a full-time job, it's, it's a, little bit of job. A, a little bit of a, a narrow bridge to cross, if you will. It is. Um, and I was working in finance before. I was working in finance before, and it was a big no-no to have a blog. And once you put your face out there, you cannot take it back, right? So I had the to... The internet is forever, always. It is forever. Remember that. So I was right out there all drunk in. on Facebook at two in the morning. <laughs> um, it'll come it, back to haunt you. Even if you hit delete, it's, it's really out there somewhere still probably. It is. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to be all in. And I had just started a, a, a job that was supposed to be temporary. And I was like, I told my boss, I was like, listen, this is what I do. Whatever, whatever job I, I have, I'm, this is going to be me from now on. It's part of who I am. So I put my whole face out there, redesigned the blog, redesigned everything. And put my face forward. And I realized that people connected with me differently when they saw my face and when they saw me on video because they got a bit more of my personality than just words on a paper. And that changed my entire strategy with my blog as well and really helped me to evolve. I don't think that the blog would have survived had I not seen Darren's tweet, had I not (laughs) downloaded the Periscope app. App, and had I not been drunk that first night, like the, the <laughs> I didn't have any food. of events. It, it but really that's how was. everything happens. I've, I've been uh, there's a really cool app that I um I actually paid and got the pre the paid version. It's called Blinkist, B L I N K I S T. And I've been reading through all these books. What they do is they someone will read these awesome um, nonfiction books, 
and create uh-huh. little bite-sized summaries of, of them. So I can like read, um, like I just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in like 15 minutes and a book on the history of salt that I would have never read if it hadn't been for this and a thing on Ben Franklin. Uh, so like some really cool stuff. I highly recommend it. Um, and I'll link to that app. Salt though, Eric? Too. Salt? Like, salt? Table salt. Like mm-hmm. it. Really, like, Eric? Like you wouldn't think it, but Star Trek salt, wasn't enough. I, this is like, it blew my mind. Salt like changed the world. Like it used to be like, we're going to be fighting over water in the next 20 years. And like, yeah. like it used to be salt was like the thing people fought over. They didn't know how to go get it. It was like the rare thing that could preserve food for shipping between England and the uh, the colonies and um, shipping you know from Europe into Africa and in India. And there were wars over salt. Like I had no idea. But what <laughs> the reason this That's this whole the whole reason this tirade came up is I just read uh, a book recently on there that said you know the the biggest things that happen in our lives usually happen because of this one like almost tipping point moment. Not that the book that I'd read was tipping point about this. That was a great book also. I was like, there's this one little moment that if it hadn't happened just that way, your whole life would be so different. And I see that now because I, at the time I didn't think about it that way. But yeah, had I not seen a tweet, and a tweet is so fleeting. It's here the second, gone the next. Had I not seen that tweet, had I not clicked the app, had I not, you know, had that liquid courage to open the ca- the app and broadcast on my crappy little phone, I would not have gone down the rabbit hole to doing everything that I'm doing now and changing everything up, in, including offering classes. I'd never even thought about that as well. And so it's led to this whole entire kind of rebirth of my entire site. And that's awesome. It's like I, you know, I've had, um, you know, thinking through, I've had similar moments and went through a similar transformation. Like if, if when I started this, uh, this blog, and actually, if you listen to podcast episode one, I called it the Narrow Bridge Finance Podcast. And uh, it was like, I just had this like one aha moment. I was um, working at my day job and in corporate finance on product profitability which this was the second or third company I'd been working on product profitability projects. And uh, I was thinking, like, what is Narrow Bridge Finance really about? Because it, it was kind of similar, like you'd been dealing with, yes, I am cheap. People saw it as kind of stale, uh, kind of corporate. And I'd always worked really hard to make it look super professional because um, yes. that was my background. Like, I'd worked at a bank. Like Everything you do is about you know, appearances and looking professional. Uh, and I realized... You know, people don't connect with brands. You don't have no. positive emotions about brands. I mean, some people do. Like, I, I feel positive when I um, see the Yes, I Am Cheap logo. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of people, you, you connect with the person behind the brand. And um, that's when I changed it to personal profitability. I, I, I was standing in the shower, and I'll never forget the moment. I, like, turned the water off. I was, like, dripping wet, ran downstairs and said to my wife, I said, I just figured out what my blog's about that I've had for, like, five years. Personal profitability. <laughs> and then she was like, yeah, Eric, can you mop up on the way, please? <laughs> we, had, we had hardwood floors. Luckily, we were renting. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, so we, uh, but, but that, like, that one moment, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. And everything's different now. And, and now I'm on, on track to be you know, a public speaker and I'm working full time, making six figures, uh, sitting in my living room rather than sitting in a gray cubicle making someone else rich. Yeah, don't forget us little people when you're off, you know, gallivanting all over the world. Is there public speaking? Hanging out in Alabama. In Alabama. (laughs) I'm actually like, I've never been to Alabama. I'm kind of pumped. I have this, uh, I have a goal. It's on my life list at ericrosenberg.com to uh, 
go to every all 50 states and i'm i'm right around 40 there's just a couple little areas i haven't been to yet and uh, mississippi and alabama are one of those areas so i don't know if i'll I'm figure sure out a way to get they're to mississippi lovely. at that point but i've been to every adjacent state in the south i've been to every other state in the south pretty much other than those two i haven't been to west virginia yet either but um, is is that a real state it, it is i My, kid i kid i kid <laughs> <laughs> my sister actually uh like totally fun unrelated to finance story but kind of a fun story my sister is a uh, is a first year surgery surgery resident in uh, in virginia in richmond and she uh, one night got a call she was doing a transplant unit and had to hop in a helicopter to west virginia to take out i think it was some kidneys or or a liver or something and fly them back to richmond so they could put them in somebody that so. sounds like a horror movie like, like to her, it's like the dream life. Like she gets to jump on helicopters and take people's organs. Like that. What, what's cooler than that? I mean, I would never want to cut out anyone's organ. I think that's gross. Like, I, but that's it's really nice that there are people in the world who want to be doctors and people who want to be finance people because we need both. Yeah. And I'm not going to be a doctor. Like I couldn't even give anyone a shot, let alone cut out a dead person's kidney. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. Yeah. So, um, speaking of kidneys, we, we're running towards the end of our time. That's the very related thing. That was um, a great segue. Totally, right? <laughs> speaking of kidneys, you know, that's when I said wrecked them. Damn near killed them. No, so, <laughs> so, uh, so Sandy, if, if people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more, if they want to find you, Periscope, Twitter, the interwebs, where should they go? So you can find me everywhere on social media as yes, I am cheap. I believe in that whole be everywhere kind of thing. So whatever social media platform you're on, I'm on it. <laughs> you can find me there. I have this awesome group called the Hustle Crew. And it's just uh, like-minded people who are trying to get their side hustle up. And so I'm in that group often. I think there are over 600 members now there. It's I'm, on I'm Facebook. I'm so. one of those 600. And I love what, what you're doing there. It's awesome stuff. I try. <laughs> and so if you want to join, look for Hustle Crew. It, the banner will say Hustle Crew, get your notebook and pen, because it's all about just really helping people get the confidence to start their small business some way or another, somewhere. And of course, you can always find me on yesiamcheap.com. Like I said, my inbox runneth over, but I'm getting so much better at my, <laughs> my email. So if you want to, you can email me at um, cheapskate at yesiamcheap.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sandy, for, for sharing all of your wisdom and your story. I hope there's some people out there who are really inspired and, you know, start making some on-demand printed items and things, not directly competing with you, of course. They'll be creative in their own way. I'm <laughs> always changing. I'm always changing. Come I mean, on. You can't keep you can't up with Sandy. You can't be stagnant in business. Yeah, no. Uh, it's always Ch the next China's thing. always on my heels, so I've got to keep changing. It's funny. You're not... You're not the first person who I've talked to who's done some stuff on Amazon who refers to China as a person. They're like, oh, yeah. Like, I have to send a check to China. Oh, China's after me. Oh, like, this. <laughs> I'm like, China's, China's not a person. It's a country of, of a billion. Words. No, it's, it's one big, that's a whole nother episode. It's a person it's whose middle name is Alibaba. Yeah, everyone's, comp I'm not afraid of people that I'm competing with here in the States. I'm afraid of competing with China. It's this one big, gigantic person eating up all of the competing manufacturing businesses and product businesses. So that's a whole nother episode. But yeah, it's it's a it's a thing. It's a thing. Well we'll see over the coming weeks and months if we end up putting a giant tariff on and everything we get from China becomes way more expensive. I think we will all feel that pain and pinch because people don't realize just how much stuff comes from China. The the earphones that you are listening right now were probably made in China. 
Yes, and no matter whose <laughs> logo is on them. So yeah, they were all just made by one of two factories who just put different logos on things. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, with that uh, uplifting thought in mind, uh, thank you, Sandy. Thank you, everyone, for for listening to the end and being a part of it. I couldn't do this podcast without the great community surrounding it. So, if you have not yet jumped in, I have a free, brand new seven day personal finance boot camp. You just go to personalprofitability.com. It is at the front top and you will get by email for a one week, seven days of videos of me just, just telling you the basics to get your personal profitability on a roll. And who knows where it'll go next from there because uh, the sky's the limit with what you can earn, but you can only budget so much. You know, there's always that like, I can budget, but I'll never get rich from budgeting, but I have to budget, but it's really about earning more. And you'll learn all about that. If you have never done it before, hop on iTunes, please drop me a rating. If you think I earned five stars, I'd love to uh, to see that there. That that means the world to me. If you don't think I earned five stars, shoot me an email, eric at personalprofitability.com. Let me know what I can do better. And um, that's all for this time. So thanks for sticking around till the end. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.